You ready to get into God's Word this morning? All right, so we are in Acts chapter, anybody know? It's probably right up there on the screen, right? Cheat sheet. Acts chapter 9, that's right. That's, uh, um, before, before we dig into that scripture, I want to uh, read one passage, one, one, one verse actually uh, from Ephesians. This is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote later on to the churches, but I want you to see how deeply he believes and how deeply the Spirit has convicted him in this area of uh, understanding how the body of Christ works. So in the book of Ephesians, which I need to turn to here quickly, there is, a, there is a verse in Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has actually prepared in advance for us to do. Remember that personally, but also remember that as we read through this story in the book of Acts this morning. God has prepared work already for you to do. He may not have told you yet. He may not have called you to do it yet, but he has prepared it. It's already prepared, and you're going to see that worked out in this passage this morning. When we think about the book of Acts, um, we've already met somebody whose name was Ananias. Does anyone, if I said Ananias and, what would you say? Sapphira, right? So there's sort of like the, that famous Ananias who's already uh, shown up early in the book of Acts, and, and he wasn't on the right track with God. This one's on the right track. This one is the one we want to model. So let's not model the first Ananias. Let's, let's model Ananias number two, uh, who is found here in Acts chapter 9. I guess I'll, I'll read the passage to you. Um, there's actually two passages. So, so there's Acts chapter 9, verses uh, 10 through 18. And then Paul himself writes a little bit about Ananias in Acts chapter. Well, he doesn't write it, but he's, he speaks about Ananias in Acts chapter uh, 22. So let's start in Acts chapter 9. We'll read the narrative. We'll see what happens in this story. And then we'll go back over it and see what God would teach us uh, this morning. So in Acts chapter 9 which is on page 1087 in the, in the Pew Bible there. Let's begin with verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias! I don't know if it was like that, but it sounds good. And he says, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answers, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument or vessel to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house. And entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, 
has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Now, if you want to flip over to the other passage where Paul is reporting on this incident, it's on page 1104 in Acts chapter 22, verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. Oh, sorry. I started in the wrong section. Verse 12. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews who were living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on the name, the name of Jesus, we know. All right, so those are the two passages in the book of Acts about Ananias' encounter with Saul. Saul who begins as Saul but ends up as Paul. Now, these two people are linked together by God. Before there was an internet, before there was text messaging, there was God. God told one that the other one was going to come, and God went to the other one and said, you need to go. And that's how they got together. God is amazing in this, connecting these two men who needed to meet one another so that God could use that place in history to begin a whole ministry to the Gentiles. It was Ananias who laid his hands on Paul, which allowed Paul to regain his sight and receive the Holy Spirit. Ananias was the first person outside of Christ who told Paul that he would be a powerful witness for Christ in the world. And it appears that it was Ananias who baptized Paul. Ananias is an important person. We need to give him that respect for what he did. Because can you imagine being the man who was chosen by God to first interact with and encourage the Apostle Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul goes on to be a great leader in the church. It would be great to be that guy that actually reached out to him for the first time and brought him into the faith. Imagine being the guy that laid your hands on on the Apostle Paul and saw him receive the Holy Spirit. We have to wonder, why did Ananias receive such an important assignment? Why him? Why was he chosen? As far as we know, Ananias was not famous. He wasn't well-known. He's never mentioned anywhere else outside of these two places in the book of Acts. Yet Ananias had this great, important assignment from God. So our question is, why? Why Ananias? And can we learn from that in our own lives so that God uses us more effectively in the world to be his witnesses? I believe we can. 
The first thing that we realize in, in Acts chapter 22 verse 12 is that Ananias was faithful or devout. Now the word faithful or devout, you know, you could interpret that a number of different ways. I believe that he was close to God. He had developed his relationship with God as best he could. He had come to faith in Jesus and he was listening. He was developing. He was a devout man, it says, who observed the law. Now that's because, remember at this point in scripture, the law was the only thing that they had. They didn't have any written New Testament books or anything like that. They had the story of, Je- the story of Jesus, which was being told uh, from disciple to disciple, but then they had the law, which was still their foundation. Unless they had been in Israel to see Christ in his actual personal ministry, they had to hear it from someone else. And they still had the law and the prophets to go by. The church at this point was still almost exclusively Jewish in its roots. They believed that the law was important. They had not rejected it. If Ananias was a devout believer in Jesus and also he understood the law, he knew the Ten Commandments. He knew that in the Ten Commandments it said, do not lie, do not steal, do not covet, do not kill. also said, love the Lord your God, don't worship any other gods. Keep him holy in your life. So Ananias was practicing what he knew of his faith. Ananias was faithful to obey what he knew of God. Now when it says he was devout, it means that he was very serious about his relationship with God. In order to be used by God, we've got to be serious about our relationship with God. It can't be a part-time love affair. It's got to be devotion, love for God above all else. We can't just love God on Sunday and then on Monday forget all about him. Those are not the type of people that God uses in his plan because they're not faithful to him. They're not devout to him and devoted to him. It also says that he was very respected by the Jews in Damascus. He was a respected person, which goes to show us that his character, the way that he treated people, brought that respect upon himself. I'm sure he wasn't cussing people when they cut him out of line at the bread store. I'm sure he wasn't, you know, gossiping about people in the background. He was good to people. He showed God's love to people in a way that brought respect. And Ananias was probably unknown to the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples in Jerusalem. And even unknown to the entire church probably in Jerusalem. He was unknown. But that didn't matter to God. God knew who Ananias was and God knew where Ananias was. God knows who you are and God knows where you are as well. God was, God was involved in this whole story from beginning to end. God knew that when he needed a very special task done, he had a very special person ready to do it, a faithful man, a man who loved God and treated others with respect and loved them as well. We don't know much about Ananias. He might have been poor. He might have been small. He might have been ugly. We don't know that much about him except what we do know, right? He was someone that God chose because God saw his faithfulness. God is always looking for faithful men and women who are following after him, who desire to love him and to show that love to the world. That's the kind of person God uses. 
God never looks for flashy people. He just doesn't. He looks for faithful people. We think flashy is where it's at. Or our culture thinks flashy is where it's at. But God doesn't think that way. Isn't it wonderful? Because that levels the ground for everyone else in the room, right? You don't have to be the flashiest person in the room. You don't have to be the loudest person. You don't have to be the smartest person. You can be a regular person as long as you're faithful to God. God chose Ananias because he had a tender heart to listen to God. He was more concerned about what God was doing than what he was doing. When God needed a person to minister to the Saul of Tarsus, the enemy of the church, God went to Ananias and he said, Ananias. And we know that Ananias was listening for God because it says his very next response was a quick, yes, Lord. Now think about your life. If God were to call your name, where would your head be? Where would you be at? Thinking about the football game, thinking about the bills that haven't been paid, thinking about your dog that just threw up on the rug. You know, where would your head be, right? If God were to say, Rick, is your first response? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Are you, are, you, are you in tune with God that way? God chose Ananias because he was in tune. His heart was in tune with him. He had a heart that was listening for God and able to receive instruction from God. He tuned his heart somehow. He quieted his heart to listen for God's voice throughout his day. And he had a desire to obey God's voice when he heard it. Some of us want to hear God's voice desperately. We want, to, we want to hear God saying, I love you, cherished child. I, I, I adore you. I think you're special. We love to hear that. Those things might be true. But do we expect to receive instructions, direction from God? We sing all kinds of songs about God's love and the beauty of God's love as we should because God is love. However, God wants to use you and me. We've been filled with the Spirit, filled with that love, and then He wants to use us. He doesn't just want us sitting up on a shelf so that He can admire us. Oh, I love them so much. They're so wonderful, those children of mine. I just brag about them all the time, but they do nothing for me. They don't take out the garbage. They don't pick up their socks. They don't make their bed. There's a balance here with God. He has children, and he wants to train them and use them to make disciples. That's what he's all about, to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he's all about. He's not just loving on us. We love that he's loving on us. That's an important thing. If you don't know that he's loving on you, then this is the message for you today. God loves you. He died for you. And... He wants to fill you with his spirit and use you in his plan. That's the message that we have to hear. And so our hearts have got to be attuned to God. So, so Ananias must have already been positioning himself in his relationship with God by following what he knew of God from the Old Testament and now in this new faith that he's found in Christ. I don't know if he, was, if he was at Pentecost and received the Spirit there, but he was in the Spirit. He was listening for God. 
And, and this is the position that we need to be in if we want to be part of God's plans. You must be in the Word. You must be humble and listening for the Word, not to just remind you how much you're loved, but also to give you direction, to give you instruction, to point you in the plans of God, in the direction that God has for you. We have to have a tender, obedient heart to be followers of Jesus. The opposite of a tender heart, a listening heart, would be a cold and proud and stony heart. And that's not the kind of heart that God has for his people. If you remember in the book of Hebrews, when we studied that at great lengths, we were studying it and we heard several times God speaking about his people in the Old Testament. In Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse, uh, let's see, what verse is that? Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, says that the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said to them, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. Our hearts need to be drawn to God, not drawn away from God in order for him to use us in his plan. You know, the Lord responds, the Lord responds in, in this situation by using Ananias. God used him because he was devout. He was committed to God. He was listening for God. But God also used him because he put his faith in God. Somehow, God, who knows all things, knew that this is a man who will put his faith in me. He'll do this difficult task that I'm going to ask him to do because he trusts in me. His faith is stronger than his fears. Ananias, his faith was stronger than his fears. He had fears, but Ananias gives voice to those fears. He speaks to God about those things. This is a very fearful time in the history of Christianity. You have to realize this. If you remember back, just these few chapters that we studied in the early church, Stephen had already been stoned to death as his punishment for being a Christian. Others were being arrested, flogged. Flogged means whipped, right? There were all kinds of punishments coming out against the people of God. So this is a scary time, a fearful time. And this is a scary dude who's in the middle of it, Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He's the one in the middle of it. He's the one stirring it up and getting the permission to do it. So Christ now was asking Ananias to place himself in the hands of this very bad dude, who intended to arrest him and any of the other believers in Damascus that he, could, that he could wrestle in. Go and visit him. Go to him. So the Lord responds to this, this reaction that Ananias has by repeating his commandment that he gave in verse 11. Go! Regardless of all the danger and all the potential disaster, go. 
The order is very simple and has been consistent from the beginning of the Christian mission in the church on earth. Go. Remember, we already talked about this one little monosyllable which can make all the difference in the world. Go. Go and make, all dis- go and make disciples of all nations. That's a great commission. We call that the Great Commission because it's for all of us as a church to go and to share Christ with others. But we must go. That small little word is the one that has to be obeyed in order for God to use us. If we don't go, if we refuse to go, then the plan doesn't go forward. Not through us anyway. God may have to find another vessel, another one that he can fill and use and move. But this has been the mission situation down through all the centuries. The people of God on mission are well aware of the grim possibilities as they go forward into the world. They go as obedient servants assigned by God to bring his light to the world. But that world is a dark world. That world is a dangerous world. It's not always friendly towards the people of God. But God says, go anyway. Go anyway. This is the heart of any true missionary, any true evangelist. They'll go anyway. No matter what the the reaction is, they'll still go. The willingness to take the chance in a dangerous situation for the sake of the gospel. They'll do it just in case. They'll, They'll risk it all just in case this one comes to Christ. This is important for us to remember as we read the book of Acts because this is the word of God being brought by believers out into the world and the world is not a friendly place. It's still not a friendly place. Still there is resistance against the name of Christ. But we are still told to go. Ananias finds his courage in his closeness with God. Because Ananias is not going alone. Just like Moses when he, when he went back and forth with God, when God was calling him to go and, and to rescue the people from, from the Pharaoh. And he's like, um, um, I'm not sure that's, you know, this is a good job for me. He's like, I will go with you. I, I, I will go with you. You know, and so if God says he will go with you, then you don't have to be scared anymore, right? Now remember, we, we, we just read in the last chapter about Philip. It, it, it's funny to contrast these different stories. Philip... Also is visited, if you look back in chapter 8, it says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down to Jerusalem, to Gaza. Period. End of statement. So he gets, he gets very little information. God's, God knew him. God knew Philip. God knows all of us. He knows how much information we might need. Right? For Philip, Philip didn't need much because the very next thing says, so he started out. He went on his way. Wow, to have that kind of faith. Go down that road over there, the one that goes that way. Okay. He doesn't even say why. The angel doesn't even say because you're going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch and he's going to be reading from the Bible and you're going to be able to bring him to Christ. He doesn't give him that information. In this story that we're reading today, Ananias gets some more information. God knows him. God knows our hearts. God knows how our brain works and and, and what gets us going. So God gives him just enough information 
to let him know what's going to happen when he gets there. And then he prepares Saul on the other end by saying, guess what? A guy named Ananias is coming over and he's going to, he's going to visit with you and he's going to bring back your sight. You know, he, God gives Saul information as well. So when the meeting takes place, it's just so awesome to see how God works out his plan. And Ananias had that privilege because he was close to God, because he had a listening heart towards God, because he desired to walk by faith and not according to his feelings. He desired to obey God and believe in God. What a privilege it is. You see, we know God's heart and general plan is to save the lost, right? But we don't always get to know the specifics. We want to say, yes, God, we know you want to send us out as, as witnesses in this world. You want us to be salt and light. We, we believe that. We know that's true. How are you going to do it? Lay out for me a plan. God doesn't always give us a plan. He gives us that one tiny little word. Go. Just go. Just go. See, Ananias was human just like us. He was prone to fear just like the rest of us. But when God said the name Saul of Tarsus, I am sure his blood pressure went up. Uh, excuse me? Who? Who am I going to go visit? Saul of Tarsus. That certainly is understandable. God knows that we're human. Saul of Tarsus had made quite a name for himself. And his reputation obviously preceded him into Damascus. The believers were bracing themselves for this assault against them. So when Ananias responds, he wasn't being rebellious. When he, when he says like, you know, what he says here. Let's look at the verse. We read it already, but let's read it again. After he, after he gets this instruction, what verse is it? 13, thank you. It's good you guys are looking at your Bible. Lord. Now, I put that little, like, inflection on it. Lord. Now, that may not have been the inflection because we don't have like a tape recording of what happened here. So Ananias answers, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I don't know that he was excited about that information. It's interesting that he thought he had to inform God about what was going on. We do this sometimes. Listen, I'm in plenty of prayer meetings and prayers with your people. Sometimes you're telling God something that, like, we already know. So if we know it, I'm pretty sure he knows it, right? But anyway, it helped Ananias to get it off his chest. Lord, you know this guy, right? You know this is that guy. Yes, it is. Ananias tells God how he feels. It's understandable what he's going through. This encounter does remind us about the, the, the encounter that God had with Moses at the burning bush, right? God knows each of us personally. He knows what we need. He's personally involved and in, he, he created us. We are the sheep of his pasture, the passage was this morning from the Psalms. So Philip didn't seem to need 
too many details, but Ananias needed a little bit more, and Ananias needed to kind of let God know that he knew who this guy was, right? So here, God gave Ananias some further information. God didn't have to, but he chose to. This shows the compassion of God and the personalness of God. God does this with us. When we truly desire to know him and obey his voice, when we're struggling with obeying him, it's okay to tell him, hey, I don't get this. I'm not saying I'm not doing it. I just want you to know, like, this is hard for me. That's okay. That's healthy to to communicate with God. He's our father. He cares about us. When we desire to know him, God says we'll find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 is a great verse in my life. It says, seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Seek me and you will find me when you search with your whole heart. Sometimes we don't get to that whole heart level until we've kind of wrestled for a while and worked through the issues and the situations that get in the way. Jesus is very Detailed in his instructions, showing that Jesus is completely in charge of the details when he sends Ananias on his way. Ananias was faithful. Ananias had a listening heart. Ananias put his faith in God, even though he may have been afraid. Ananias still had to decide if he would risk his life and his future to obey God or if he would simply run away from it. Like Jonah in the Old Testament. Jonah runs the other direction. When God tells Jonah to go to the Ninevites, who also were, were enemies, were very violent culture, very, very bad people, Jonah says, uh-uh, not going, and goes on that boat. You know, God gets him back around you know, after a little while, but, but Jonah goes the other direction. At least Ananias, now filled with the Spirit, goes in the right direction. I love the, the verse, uh, verse 17. It says, Then Ananias, he went to the house and he entered it. I was thinking about that. He didn't even knock. He was like so like bold. He was like, yep, I'm here. You know, let's get this done. He doesn't even knock on the door. And I don't know if they knocked on the door back then. I think they did. But he just entered the house. We don't see any fear there anymore. He's going to do this no matter what. He's willing to risk no matter what. He may have been thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm going face to face with against the ringleader of the enemy of the church. Am I crazy? But I'm still going to do it. Sometimes you've got to do it even though you're scared. Because it's what God asks you to do. And the reward is great on the other end. He may have been thinking about Daniel in the lion's den. You know what? Daniel got thrown in there with those hungry lions, but God shut all their mouths. He may have been thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who got thrown in the fiery furnace which was heated up so hot that it burned up the people who threw him in. But they didn't get burned up. See, he was focusing on God and God's ability to do the impossible. That's what I believe. I'm not Ananias. I'm not a mind reader. But I look at how bold he is when he goes and I think, you know what? He got his, he got his faith in the right thing which was not himself or Saul, or the situation, but he got it in God. And God is able to deliver. God is our strong fortress. He's our deliverer. He's, the, he's our defender. So Ananias' faith and confidence in God overcame his fears. It was greater than his fears. And so he enters into this situation where God can use him. 
When you love God, when you want to serve him, when you want to bring him to those who don't know him, sometimes it's scary. Probably most of the time it's scary. A lot of times with us, it's scary because socially I might be rejected. Not many of us are going to get into a fist fight, but you might. You know. Not many of us are going to be arrested for that. But it's still, it's still a scary situation. What we need to do is realize God doesn't always give us an easy or safe way out. He still asks us to go, but he asks us to go by faith. He asks us to go with our eyes on him. If we want God to move and use us as his witnesses in this world, we have to get past our own emotions. It's not about us. It's about him. It's very hard in our culture to say that. One person clapped. It's not about us. It's about him. Clap, 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 clap. Okay, there, good, better. <laughs> right? Because a lot of stuff is about us, right? Oh, you know, they might hurt my feelings. They might reject me. They might not invite me over for Christmas dinner, you know, because of my love for God and my love for them and my desire to share Christ with them. But Ananias had specific instructions. He was close enough to the author of this plan that he let him in on it. He gave him what he needed. He helped him on his way. What great purpose this man, Ananias, had. He got a great privilege of bringing the Apostle Paul into the faith by the power of the Spirit. He didn't do it himself, but the Spirit used him. It didn't happen by luck. It didn't happen by chance or through some random choice of God where God was like, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You go over there and see Saul of Tarsus. God knew him and he knew God. They were close enough that God could invite him into his plan and say, hey, go do this for me. It's going to be great. And Ananias believed God. What we get to see is this twofold purpose, this twofold miracle, right? It's like a double miracle takes place in verse 17b, right? So look at verse 17b. B means the, the second half of the verse because it's a long verse. It says, he's talking to, to, to Saul now. So the Lord Jesus, he sent me, and then go down a little bit. He sent me to you that you may see again. So that's a physical healing. God still does physical healing. And that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual healing. And Ananias got to be the vessel that brought both a physical healing, the blindness was gone, now Saul can see again, and even greater than that, a spiritual healing, that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, be, may be born again of the Spirit. And then he gets another privilege, which is to baptize him, because Saul wants to immediately be baptized. Saul wants to be baptized so badly that he doesn't even eat lunch first. If you read the verse, he eats after. So his spiritual life was so brought to life, was so exciting, was such a big deal that he wasn't even thinking of his stomach yet. And he hadn't eaten for three days or so, if you read the passage. He'd be hungry. He'd be wanting a Big Mac, right? 
But that's not what was first on his mind. Now what was first on his mind was obedience to Christ. I want to be baptized. Will you baptize me? Of course I will. Let's do that too. So now I I was blind, but now I can see. I was empty, but now I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And now I am baptized and walking in obedience as a disciple of Christ. Wow. This is great. God wants to do this again and again and again and again. And he has done it again and again and again and again as people follow him in the same pathway that Ananias has followed him. By living faithfully close to God, by having a tender heart, by listening to God's word, by listening for God in his word and in your prayer life and in your walk with God, by doing things that are even scary at times, because of God's instruction to go, to go and make disciples. Amen? Amen. That Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that it gives us, Lord. It helps us to know how we are to live because we can't figure that out on our own. We need your word. We need your spirit to guide us, to shepherd us, to point us in the right direction when we get off track. Lord, we're reading this book of Acts because we want to be your witnesses in this world. We want Christ to be known in this world by those who are lost and those who are hurting and those who haven't heard. And so the only way that can happen is if you open up our mouths and you get us to overcome our own feelings and you get us to walk by faith and not by sight. So God, help us to grow. Make us mature in this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.